0: Chapter five of What Katie Did Next This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit Librivox dot org recording by Corrie Samuel What Katie Did Next by Susan Coolidge Chapter five Storybook England Oh, is it raining? was Katie's first question next morning. "'when the maid came to call her. "'The pretty room with its gaily-flowered chintz and china "'and its brass bedstead did not look half so bright "'as when lit with gas the night before, "'and a dim grey light struggled in at the window, "'which in America would certainly have meant bad weather coming "'or already come. "'Oh, no, indeed, ma'am, it's a very fine day. "'Not bright, ma'am, but very dry,' was the answer. "'Katy couldn't imagine what the maid meant, when she peeped between the curtains and saw a thick dull mist lying over everything, and the pavements opposite her windows shining with wet. Afterwards, when she better understood the peculiarities of the English climate, she too learned to call days not absolutely rainy, fine, and to be grateful for them, but on that first morning her sensations were of bewildered surprise, almost vexation. Mrs. Ash and Amy were waiting in the coffee-room when she went in search of them, "'What shall we have for breakfast?' asked Mrs. Ash. "'Our first meal in England. "'Katy, you order it.' "'Let's have all the things we have read about in books and don't have at home,' said Katie eagerly. "'But when she came to look over the bill of fare, there didn't seem to be many such things. "'Soles and muffins she finally decided upon, and, as an afterthought, gooseberry jam. "'Muffins sound so very good in Dickens, you know.' she explained to Mrs. Ash, and I never saw a soul. The souls, when they came, proved to be nice little panfish, not unlike what in New England are called scup. All the party took kindly to them, but the muffins were a great disappointment, tough and tasteless, with a flavour about them as of scorched flannel. How queer and disagreeable they are, said Katie. I feel as if I were eating rounds cut from an old ironing blanket and buttered. "'Dear me! What did Dickens mean by making such a fuss about them? I wonder. "'And I don't care for gooseberry jam, either. "'It isn't half as good as the jams we have at home. "'Books are very deceptive.' "'I am afraid they are. "'We must make up our minds to find a great many things "'not quite so nice as they sound when we read about them,' replied Mrs. Ash. "'Mabel was breakfasting with them, of course, "'and was heard to remark at this juncture that she didn't like muffins either, and would a great deal rather have waffles, whereupon Amy reproved her and explained that nobody in England knew what waffles were, they were such a stupid nation, and that Mabel must learn to eat whatever was given her and not to find fault with it. After this moral lesson, it was found to be dangerously near train time, and they all hurried to the railroad station, which fortunately was close by. There was rather a scramble and confusion for a few moments, for Katy, who had undertaken to buy the tickets, "'was puzzled by the unaccustomed coinage, "'and Mrs. Ash, whose part was to see after the luggage, "'found herself perplexed and worried by the absence of cheques, "'and by no means disposed to accept the porter's statement "'that if she'd only bear in mind "'that the trunks were in a second van from the engine "'and get out to see that they were safe "'once or twice during the journey "'and call for them as soon as they reached London, "'she'd have no trouble. "'Please remember the porter, ma'am.' "'However, all was happily settled at last,' and without any serious inconveniences they found themselves established in a first-class carriage and presently after running smoothly at full speed across the rich English Midlands toward London and the eastern coast. The extreme greenness of the October landscape was what struck them first, and the wonderfully orderly and trim aspect of the country, with no ragged stump-dotted fields or reaches of wild untended woods. Late in October, as it was, the hedgerows and meadows were still almost summer-like in colour, though the trees were leafless. The delightful-looking old manor-houses and farmhouses, of which they had glimpses now and again, were a constant pleasure to Katie, with their mullioned windows, twisted chimney-stacks, porches of quaint build, and thick-growing ivy. She contrasted them with the uncompromising ugliness of farmhouses which she remembered at home, and wondered whether it could be that at the end of another thousand years or so America would have picturesque buildings like these to show in addition to her picturesque scenery. Suddenly, into the midst of these reflections, there glanced a picture so vivid that it almost took away her breath, as the train steamed past a pack of hounds in full cry, followed by a galloping throng of scarlet-coated huntsmen. One horse and rider were in the air, going over a wall, Another was just rising to the leap. A string of others, headed by a lady, were tearing across a meadow bounded by a little brook, and beyond that streamed the hounds following the invisible fox. It was like one of Moybridge's instantaneous photographs of the horse in motion, for the moment that it lasted, and Katie put it away in her memory, distinct and brilliant, as she might a real picture. Their destination in London was Batts Hotel in Dover Street. The old gentleman on the Spartacus, who had crossed so many times, had furnished Mrs. Ash with a number of addresses of hotels and lodging-houses, from among which Katie had chosen Batts for the reason that it was mentioned in Mrs. Edgeworth's patronage. "'It was the place,' she explained, "'where Godfrey Percy didn't stay when Lord Aldborough sent him the letter.' It seemed an odd enough reason for going anywhere that a person in a novel didn't stay there. But Mrs. Ash knew nothing of London and had no preference of her own, so she was perfectly willing to give Katie hers, and Bats was decided upon. "'It is just like a dream or a story,' said Katie, as they drove away from the London station in a four-wheeler. "'It is really ourselves, and this is really London. "'Can you imagine it?' She looked out, Nothing met her eyes but dingy weather, muddy streets, long rows of ordinary brick or stone houses. It might very well have been New York or Boston on a foggy day, yet to her eyes all things had a subtle difference which made them unlike similar objects at home. "'Wimpole Street!' she cried suddenly, as she caught sight of the name on the corner. "'That is the street where Maria Crawford, in Mansfield Park, you know, opened one of the best houses.' "'after she married Mr. Rushworth. "'Think of seeing Wimpole Street! What fun!' "'She looked eagerly out after the best houses, "'but the whole street looked uninteresting and old-fashioned. "'The best house to be seen was not of a kind, Katie thought, "'to reconcile an ambitious young woman to a dull husband. "'Katie had to remind herself that Miss Austen "'wrote her novels nearly a century ago, "'that London was a growing place.' and that things were probably much changed since that day. More fun awaited them when they arrived at Bat's, and exactly such a landlady sailed forth to welcome them as they had often met with in books—an old landlady, smiling and rubicund, with a towering lace cap on her head, a flowered silk gown, a gold chain, and a pair of fat mittened hands demurely crossed over a black brocade apron. "'She alone would have been worth crossing the ocean to see,' they all declared. "'Their telegram had been received, and rooms were ready, "'with a bright, smoky fire of soft coals. "'The dinner-table was set, "'and a nice, formal, white-cravatted old waiter, "'who seemed to have stepped out of the same book with the landlady, "'was waiting to serve it. "'Everything was dingy and old-fashioned, "'but very clean and comfortable, "'and Katie concluded "'that on the whole Godfrey Percy would have done wisely to go to Bats, "'and could have fared no better at the other hotel where he did stay. "'The first of Katie's London sights came to her next morning "'before she was out of her bedroom. "'She heard a bell ring and a queer squeaking little voice utter a speech "'of which she could not make out a single word. "'Then came a laugh and a shout, "'as if several boys were amused at something or other, "'and altogether her curiosity was roused.' "'so that she finished dressing as fast as she could "'and ran to the drawing-room window, "'which commanded a view of the street. "'Quite a little crowd was collected under the window, "'and in their midst was a queer box raised high on poles, "'with little red curtains tied back on either side "'to form a miniature stage, "'on which puppets were moving and vociferating. "'Katy knew in a moment "'that she was seeing her first punch and duty. "'The box and the crowd began to move away, Katie, in despair, ran to Wilkins, the old waiter, who was setting the breakfast table. Oh, please stop that man, she said. I want to see him. What man is it, miss? said Wilkins. When he reached the window, and realized what Katie meant, his sense of propriety seemed to receive a severe shock. He even ventured on remonstrance. I wouldn't, miss, if I were you. Them punches are a low lot, miss. They ought to be put down, really they ought. "'Gentlefolks, as a general thing, pays no attention to them.' "'But Katie didn't care what gentlefolks did or didn't do, "'and insisted upon having Punch called back. "'So Wilkins was forced to swallow his remonstrances and his dignity "'and go in pursuit of the objectionable object. "'Amy came rushing out with her hair flying and Mabel in her arms, "'and she and Katie had a real treat of Punch and Judy "'with all the well-known scenes,' "'and perhaps a few new ones thrown in for their especial behoof, "'for the showman seemed to be inspired by the rapturous enjoyment "'of his little audience of three at the first-floor windows. "'Punch beat Judy and stole the baby, "'and Judy banged Punch in return, "'and the constable came in, and Punch outwitted him, "'and the hangman and the devil made their appearance duly, "'and it was all perfectly satisfactory, "'and just exactly what she hoped it would be, "'and it quite made up for the muffins,' Katie declared. Then, when Punch had gone away, The question arose as to what they should choose Out of the many delightful things in London For their first morning. Like ninety-nine Americans out of a hundred, They decided on Westminster Abbey, And indeed there is nothing in England Better worth seeing or more impressive In its dim, rich antiquity, To eyes fresh from the world Which still calls itself new. So to the Abbey they went, and lingered there till Mrs. Ashe declared herself to be absolutely dropping with fatigue. If you don't take me home and give me something to eat, she said, I shall drop down on one of those pedestals and stay there, and be exhibited for ever after as an effigy of somebody belonging to ancient English history. So Katy tore herself away from Henry the Seventh and the Poets' Corner, and tore Amy away from a quaint little tomb shaped like a cradle, with the marble image of a baby in it which had greatly taken her fancy. She could only be consoled by the promise that she should come again and stay as long as she liked. She reminded Katie of this promise the very next morning. Mama has waked up with rather a bad headache, and she thinks she will lie still and not come to breakfast, she reported, and she sends her love and says, Will you please have a cab and go where you like, and if I won't be a trouble, she would be glad if you would take me with you "'and I won't be a trouble, Miss Katie, "'and I know where I wish you would go. "'Where is that? "'To see that cunning little baby again "'that we saw yesterday. "'I want to show her to Mabel. "'She didn't go with us, you know, "'and I don't like to have her mind not improved. "'And, darling Miss Katie, "'mayn't I buy some flowers and put them on the baby? "'She's so dusty and old "'that I don't believe anybody has put flowers for her "'for ever so long.' Katie found this idea rather pretty, and willingly stopped at Covent Garden, where they bought a bunch of late roses for eighteen pence, which entirely satisfied Amy. With them in her hand, and Mabel in her arms, she led the way through the dim aisles of the abbey, through grates and doors and up and down steps, the guide following, but not at all needed, for Amy seemed to have a perfectly clear recollection of every turn and winding. When the chapel was reached, She laid the roses on the tomb with gentle fingers, and a pitiful, reverent look in her grey eyes. Then she lifted Mabel up to kiss the odd little baby effigy above the marble quilt, whereupon the guide seemed altogether surprised out of his composure, and remarked to Katie, "'Little Miss is an American, as is plain to see. No Hinglish child would be likely to think of doing such a thing.' "'Do not English children take any interest in the tombs of the Abbey?' asked Katie. "'Oh, yes, ma'am. Interest, but they don't take no special notice of one tomb above another.' "'Katy could scarcely keep from laughing, especially if she heard Amy, who had been listening to the conversation, give an audible sniff, and inform Mabel that she was glad she was not an English child who didn't notice things and liked grown-up graves as much as she did dear little cunning ones like this. "'Later in the day, when Mrs. Ash was better, They all drove together to the quaint old keep, which has been the scene of so many tragedies, and is known as the Tower of London. Here they were shown various rooms and chapels and prisons, and among the rest the apartments where Queen Elizabeth, when a friendless young princess, was shut up for many months by her sister Queen Mary. Katie had read somewhere, and now told Amy, the pretty legend of the four little children who lived with their parents in the Tower, and used to play with the royal captive and how one little boy brought her a key which he had picked up on the ground and said, Now you can go out when you will, lady, and how the lords of the council, getting wind of it, sent for the children to question them and frightened them and their friends almost to death and forbade them to go near the princess again. A story about children always brings the past much nearer to a child, and Amy's imagination was so excited by this tale that when they got to the darksome closet, which is said to have been the prison of Sir Walter Raleigh, she marched out of it with a pale and wrathful face. "'If this is English history, I mean never to learn any more of it, and neither shall Mabel,' she declared. "'But it is not possible for Amy, or anyone else, not to learn a great deal of history simply by going about London. So many places are associated with people or events, and seeing the places makes one care so much more for the people or the events.' THE ONE INSENSIBLY QUESTIONS AND WONDERS. Katie, who had browsed all through her childhood in a good old-fashioned library, had her memory stuffed with all manner of little scraps of information and literary allusions, which now came into use. It was like owning the disjointed bits of a puzzle, and suddenly discovering that, properly put together, they make a pattern. Mrs. Ash, who had never been much of a reader, considered her young friend a prodigy of intelligence, But Katie herself realized how inadequate and inexact her knowledge was, and how many bits were missing from the pattern of her puzzle. She wished with all her heart, as everyone wishes under such circumstances, that she had studied harder and more wisely while the chance was in her power. On a journey you cannot read to advantage. Remember that, dear girls, who are looking forward to traveling some day, and be industrious in time. October is not a favourable month in which to see England. Water, water, is everywhere. You breathe it, you absorb it, it wets your clothes, and it dampens your spirits. Mrs. Ashe's friends advised her not to think of Scotland at that time of year. One by one, their little intended excursions were given up. A single day and night in Oxford and Stratford-on-Avon, a short visit to the Isle of Wight, where— In a country place which seemed provokingly pretty as far as they could see it for the rain, lived that friend of Mrs. Ash, who had married an Englishman, and in so doing had, as Katie privately thought, renounced the sun. A peep at Stonehenge from under the shelter of an umbrella, and an hour or two in Salisbury Cathedral, was all that they accomplished, except a brief halt at Winchester, that Katie might have the privilege of seeing the grave of her beloved Miss Austen. "'Katy had come abroad with a terribly long list of graves to visit,' Mrs. Ash declared. "'They laid a few rain-washed flowers upon the tomb, "'and listened with edification to the verger, who inquired, "'Whatever was it, ma'am, that lady did which brings so many Americans to ask about her? "'Our English people don't seem to take the same interest.' "'She wrote such delightful stories,' explained Katie, "'but the old verger shook his head.' I think it must have been some other party, miss, you've confused with this here. It stands to reason, miss, that we'd have heard of them over here in England sooner than you would over there in America, if the books had been anything so extraordinary. The night after their return to London, they were dining for the second time with the cousins of whom Mrs. Ash had spoken to Dr. Carr, and as it happened, Katie sat next to a quaint elderly American who had lived for twenty years in London, and knew it much better than most Londoners do. This gentleman, Mr. Allen Beach, had a hobby for antiquities, old books especially, and passed half his time at the British Museum and the other half in sales-rooms and the old shops in Wardour Street. Katie was lamenting over the bad weather which stood in the way of their plans. "'It is so vexatious,' she said. "'Mrs. Ash meant to go to York and Lincoln and all the cathedral towns, and to Scotland, and we have had to give it up all because of the rains. We shall go away, having seen hardly anything. You can see London. We have. That is, we have seen the things that everybody sees. But there are so many things that people in general do not see. How much longer are you to stay, Miss Carr? A week, I believe. Why don't you make out a list of old buildings which are connected with famous people in history, "'and visit them in turn. "'I did that the second year after I came. "'I gave up three months to it, "'and it was most interesting. "'I unearthed all manner of curious stories and traditions.' "'Or,' cried Katie, "'struck with a sudden bright thought, "'why mightn't I put into the list "'some of the places I know about in books, "'novels as well as history, "'and the places where the people who wrote the books lived?' "'You might do that, "'and it wouldn't be a bad idea either.' "'said Mr. Beach, pleased with her enthusiasm. "'I will get a pencil after dinner "'and help you with your list if you will allow me.' "'Mr. Beach was better than his word. "'He not only suggested places "'and traced a plan of sightseeing, "'but on two different mornings he went with them himself, "'and his intelligent knowledge of London "'added very much to the interest of the excursions. "'Under his guidance, the little party of four, "'for Mabel was never left out, It was such a chance for her to improve her mind, Amy declared, visited the charter-house where Thackeray went to school, and the home of the poor brothers connected with it, in which Colonel Newcombe answered, "Adsum" to the roll-call of the Angels. They took a look at the small house in Curzon Street, which is supposed to have been in Thackeray's mind when he described the residence of Becky Sharp, and the other house in Russell Square, which is unmistakably that where George Osborne courted Amelia Sedley. They went to service in the delightful old church of St. Mary in the Temple, and thought of Ivanhoe and Brian de bois Guilbert, and Rebecca the Jewess. From there Mr. Beach took them to Lamb's Court, where Pendennis and George Warrington dwelt in chambers together, and to Brick Court, where Oliver Goldsmith passed so much of his life, and the little rooms in which Charles and Mary Lamb spent so many sadly happy years. On another day... They drove to Whitefriars for the sake of Lord Glenvarlock and the old privilege of sanctuary in the fortunes of Nigel, and took a peep at Bethnal Green, where the blind beggar and his pretty Bessie lived, and at the old prison of the Marshalsea, made interesting by its associations with Little Dorrit. They also went to see Milton's house and St. Giles's church, in which he is buried, and stood a long time before St. James's palace. "'trying to make out which could have been Miss Burney's windows "'when she was dresser to Queen Charlotte of bitter memory. "'And they saw Paternoster Row, and Number 5 Chain Walk, "'sacred forevermore to the memory of Thomas Carlyle, "'and Whitehall, where Queen Elizabeth lay in state, "'and King Charles was beheaded, "'and the state-rooms of Holland House, "'and by great good luck had a glimpse of George Eliot getting out of a cab. "'She stood for a moment while she gave her fare to the cabman, and Katie looked as one who might not look again, and carried away a distinct picture of the unbeautiful, interesting, remarkable face. With all this to see and to do, the last week sped all too swiftly, and the last day came before they were at all ready to leave what Katie called Storybook England. Mrs. Ash had decided to cross by Newhaven and Dieppe, because someone had told her of the beautiful old town of Rouen, and it seemed easy and convenient to take it on the way to Paris. Just landed from the long voyage across the Atlantic, the little passage of the Channel seemed nothing to our travellers, and they made ready for their night on the Dieppe steamer, with the philosophy which is born of ignorance. They were speedily undeceived. The English Channel has a character of its own, which distinguishes it from other seas and straits. It seems made fractious and difficult by nature, and set, as on purpose, to be barrier between two nations who were too unlike to easily understand each other and are the safer neighbours for this wholesome difficulty of communication between them. the chop was worse than usual on the night when our travellers crossed the steamer had to fight her way inch by inch, and oh, such a little steamer, and oh, such a long night, End of Chapter Five.